It's the Tailcast episode 488, Believe in the Bird. And this week, guys, Justin and I talk Age of Empires 4, Last Stand Aftermath, Warhammer Battle Sector, and Dismantle. Stay tuned. Where does the bird? So crispy. Ah. It's the Tiltcast, and we're back. Um, just getting out of the way, it's an M-rated show. I'm Nas. I'm Jason, and we're Sansa Rusty. And together you're going to get some amount of time's worth of bullshit. Bullshit. Some games, some news. Um, yeah, Rusty's got some personal things going on and won't be able to make it tonight. Um, we've got Thanksgiving next week, and we won't be recording that weekend. Um, family time. We do this for free. So, we won't be coming back till the next week. Um, if there are any kind of uh, weird audio issues, you can blame Jason. Um, Completely. As this is me and Jason's duo cast. Um, so, let's talk about at least last week. Did you do anything with your once-in-a-while time off from the studio on that beloved Saturday? <laughs> on that beloved Saturday. To be honest, we really didn't do much. Like, we stayed home and watched a movie. The big thing was, the next day, it was uh, our youngest's birthday. So, you know, that was that was fun. That was all uh, church, and then uh, immediately afterward, uh, going and uh, uh, him picking out his birthday meal, picking out a picking out a cake. You let him pick out a cake. We let him pick out a cake, and then uh, that's actually kind of exciting. And then me taking him and all three kids to the YMCA to go swimming because they have an indoor pool, and he really wanted to swim and. Well, it's November. <laughs> Were there a lot of people in November swimming? No. That that's the glorious part. Even even though the YMCA has a indoor swimming pool, when it comes to November, very few people go there. Like during the summer, that pool is almost always overcrowded. You go during the fall and the winter, it's nearly vacant. Vacant. It's great. I love it that way. The noise level is completely... Adult-friendly? Yes. Completely adult-friendly. So we say did during that. The, during the summer, it's probably just, like, chaos. Absolute chaos. I haven't been swimming in a while. Because, of course, you know, they've also got uh, during summer, like all of the uh, 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 summer programs around town and whatever, they they take kids there on certain days to go swimming, yada yada. So you might end up with like a busload of kids at the YMCA, and of course they've got their own summer programs. Yeah, I can see that. So yeah, it's generally overcrowded, but. It was, so that was nice. And then, of course, we 
we go home, do all the birthday shit, and he's happy, and that's that. And then I spent the entire week not turning on my, not hardly turning on my computer because, well, I had this week off. So I was getting my ass kicked for five days in a row, getting ready to be off for. I took Tuesday through Friday this week, so. I don't believe you. I'm going to be off Thursday, Friday, and the following Monday. Uh, the thing is, so I got a promotion to work. I talk about it a little bit, and I work a lot more with the corporate office because that's basically what I am. If I move any higher, I got to move. I got to move to the corporate headquarters. I don't really want to do that right now. Um, but that means that all the meetings that I have are with people that work up there. Yep. So, um, they all don't do things that are on a production schedule, so to speak. So that means that they don't really work holidays and then they work overtime to not be available during holidays. So meetings this week were kind of tight. Next week, my meetings are almost non-existent. And the follow-up week until about Wednesday, there's just about nothing going on. Um, half of the staff, I'm just new to the position, so half of the staff around me are gone. And I'm literally just working because I knew I could take the following Monday off because nobody else did because they took this week off. So everybody being off this coming week, I'm just like, all right, well, I'll be off that following Monday. It'll give me a good five days in a row off, yeah. which is a good rest for me. I can definitely deal with that. I need to see some family. So um, only downsides, I won't see Jess until next month. So, um, Yeah, that bites a little bit. So, but I am trying to make up for it with uh, seeing lots of people here soon. Um, That'll be good. That'll I made, good. one of the things I did last week, um, so every November I do a thing on Saturday um, where I do this custom game um, with uh, John from Picking Up the Pixels. He's the only other podcaster that's in this group. And then my friend Peters, and then we call him D-Dave. Um, and my friend Matt. These are all people I've known since like 2000. And we've been D&D gaming of sorts together since 2000. Now, the first 10 years, 2000 to 2010, it was like every Monday. Um, yeah. We always got together and we played something. I've never, here's a crazy thing, I've only played actual real D&D a couple of times. I've played variations of Dave games this entire time. So we had a game where when we first started, it was people, so like Heroes was kind of big, right? And it was kind of the same thing. We called it Wasteland. And what it was was, you know, there was a catastrophic event. The whole world has been remade. And now there are certain people that have certain abilities. And the cool thing about Dave games is Dave is, especially now that he's been doing it so long, is an expert at making sure that the character creation process is quick. So when we first started, it was a whole set of rules on things that we could and couldn't choose. So you kind of mix and match stuff, roll some dice for some of the different attributes for your character, and then here's some attributes based on your stats that you could have that make sense for those stats. So if you're an endurance stat, maybe you have some kind of iron skin or something like that. So we basically played superheroes for five or six years. Every Monday, it was this different game, right? And, you know, it 
these games we never played LARP style, meaning we never played them seriously. This was literally just us jacking around, and in the early days was us getting really drunk, playing this dumb game, staying over at Scott's house till, oh God, AM, every Monday, coming to work, completely hungover, and like just barely making it through. And even when I was in college, I'd drive down from Stillwater, which is about an hour and a half away, and still do this every Monday night, even when I had class at like 10 a.m. the next day. So I'd drive back, I'd drink a shitload of coffee in the morning, make it through my first class, take a nap until my class that happened at 3, um, and try <laughs> to sleep off some of that hangover, and then yeah. continue on. But as the as the years progressed, we changed games. Went from more of a old-style, fantasy-style game, more like a traditional D&D. I don't know what rule set it is. Um, maybe you can help me with this. So to make rolls, we have to roll under, essentially. So a modifier, let's say, on a 20, on a, you're drawing all two 10-siders, right? And then it has to be under, let's say I'm making a shot, right? My character doesn't make shots, but let's say I'm a two-hit for me is like a 14, because I'm very specialized in a certain thing, but typically it would be like an 8. So I'm rolling two 10-siders to make 8 or less, essentially. I don't know what rule set that is, but that's what we yeah. use when we use a 20 to hit. That, that almost sounds like more of like a modified modified Pathfinder or something. Because traditional D&D rule set is uh, your enemy has an armor class and you have you roll a, a D20 and that plus your uh, you know, say your melee character your strength or if you're using a weapon, your weapon modifier. So we do has some... to be above that armor class in order to hit. So the way we do armor class is it's we roll damage afterwards. So after you do your two hit, then you roll damage, and then the modifier for armor is applied versus the damage. So if they have an armor modifier of four, gotcha. and yeah, I roll so... and I roll eight damage, well then they only do four damage because it's you know unless he I think you know he does a whole blunt thing like plus blunt to armor etc. Um. The character I have has basically like uh, Wolverine-style claws. He's a dwarf. Um, gotcha. Yeah, it, it's more of a yeah. That's more of a Pathfinder rule set. So your your power level and your skill gives you hit dice, and your hit dice have to be you know have to hit a certain number in order for you do a two hit but yeah like we played from about 8 30 no nine o'clock in the morning till about eight o'clock and then matt's wife too jumped in for some of it as well nice um so we did that i brined and smoked a turkey let me tell you about this thing so i brined it the day before and then the morning of, I got up extra early and threw this bad boy, got the smoker rolling, got the turkey going, and I injected it with garlic butter um, and then rubbed it with butter and then, you know, rosemary, thyme, and garlic on the outside because it, you know, it's brined. It already has plenty of salt. Um, and threw a stick of butter inside. And I know that sounds like a lot of butter. It is a lot of butter. And let me tell you, that bird was... Not just juicy on the outside, like 
I cut into it and it was fucking fleshy. Like it was, nice. this was some primo bird. And this was probably the best I've ever smoked turkey. I, I was proud of myself. Um, and there was very little left over, which means that I felt like I did good. I also, so I make a mean green bean casserole. And I don't know if I've made it for you guys yet, but um, we're yeah, going to that we've had before. Um, I use a lot of French fried onions. I also use a lot of bacon. And bacon is not something everybody puts in. I also use a lot of garlic, and I also roast garlic, too. So roast it and roasted some garlic, mix that in, mixed in my cream of mushroom, right? But my cream of mushroom is literally mushroom sauteed and cream. And then I threw that bad boy in the smoker about an hour and a half before I thought the bird would be done. And then... Of course, we have a. I just threw it in the threw it in the oven for just a minute to crisp up the onions that I threw on top. Yeah, and good to go. Like that's that sucker was badass. Lola's uh, very excited to see you. Very excited. She's uh. Here goes our third mountain. Everybody's oh, come on. Up. Come on. Yeah. So Lola hadn't seen people in a week. And she's got to, I mean, you can hear it. What she does is she stands on your lap and then puts her face in your face to get in front of your face to lick your face. And then she smiles the entire time she's doing it because she loves this so much. Jesus. This is ridiculous. Right, I don't need your French kissing me. That's enough. Oh boy. Yeah, she hadn't seen anybody. Honestly, she has seen people. I don't know why she's acting like she's starved she for attention. She hasn't seen me in over and, a week. Yeah, she hadn't seen you in a couple weeks. I had the house appraised. Um, not appraised. I signed my refi paperwork the other day and one thing i thought was actually pretty cool is the place i went through let me like sent somebody to the house and i was like what am i going to do with the dog so i just threw a harness on her and then just basically kept her on a super short leash right next to me the entire time and everybody likes lola all right like this guy is probably in his late 50s early 60s he starts talking about the dog, and he starts talking to the dog, and I was like, well, she's deaf, so she can't hear you, but she is really friendly. So I'm trying to sign paperwork, and then I've got Lola really short, and he's like, you don't have to put her on a short leash, just let her do her thing. I was like, she's going to try to get in your lap. He's like, I don't care, I like dogs. Well, there's Lola, get in, in this guy's face, about like she just got in your face, looking at him like crazy, and it's like, oh my god, this is not good. He's like having a blast with this damn dog. Just like this is so fucking weird. <laughs> like everybody reacts the same way. Like Dave was over here, and I flipped the couch around to face the table, so Dave wanted to sit on the couch, and then she wanted a couch buddy, so she jumped up there with Dave. And the whole time, like she's just like pawing his hand for attention, like nope, you're not done petting me. So like the entire game, 
Dave was forced to scratch her ears for basically about nine hours or ten hours or whatever it was, because she would not leave him alone. She is a joy, though. I like having her, even if she is fucking evil. Oh, she is an amazing dog. Just a little overzealous at times, right, Lola? Yep, she had her fill. She uh, licked you to death, and I think she's like, I'm good for her. My whole head's wet. Yeah, you can take a break. You can go wash your face. <laughs> she literally, like, got her face in his face and started licking the shit out of him. Yeah. But, so, yes. anyway, with your D&D games, now you guys have basically just been, like, since you've done it, like, twice a year for the last, what, 12 years or something like that? Yeah, we were thinking about it, like, we don't have any original characters except for, no, we don't. Peters, which is one of our friends that comes here from Alaska, he has his original priest, and has had the same original priest this entire time. We've been playing this particular game since, like, 2012, I want to say. Yeah. Um, we call it the reboot. We had about a two-year break, and then we started playing again. But... Um, this is my third character. And what Dave does is so much different is all the NPCs have a character card. Yeah. He creates that throughout the year to think of somebody interesting to throw in the game. And he'll be like, all right, so he makes a character card for him with an inventory and everything. And if you die, um, there are a set of gems, essentially, that we have that are different characters. And so we literally roll a die, and that card is numbered. And we pull that card out of the deck, and that's who you die. And that comes with character sheet, inventory list, and everything. And he's got all these little bitty cards that have the full inventory along with stats and everything that goes with them on those cards. So, like, I feel like it's even more fleshed out than your typical D&D campaign, but it is so customized to us. And he's put so much TLC into this. Like, he's done an amazing job, and I don't understand why this isn't what he does. Um, because it's... It's a very well-ran game, and he knows how to... He knows that we got a lot of ADD, so he knows how to like weave in the story bits and knows how to recap really well and knows how to get us going again very quickly. It usually takes us about 20 minutes of recap after not playing it. At this point, we haven't played the game. I haven't played the game since 2019, since pre-COVID. They played one session, and then you know things were kind of iffy um, before everybody got the jab and everything was going on. So, we were, uh, you know, like not playing, but we decided maybe we we're going to do it virtually, and then, like I said, everybody kind of got the jab, so we just started to think about, okay, we need to just get together and do this. Yeah. I mean, we just, it's been too long. But it was a really good experience. I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I'm glad I don't work Saturdays anymore, because I don't even have to take time off at this point. So... But yeah, that's what I did. Hung out with people and uh, smoked foods and ate till I was really fucking full and still didn't have really any alcohol. I did gain about five pounds during that week. Nice. And then pooped it all out this week. Nice. I mean, that's what you gotta do sometimes. You know, eat a lot of shit that's bad for you and just Actually, poop that it bad. all out. Wasn't that bad for you? Honestly, I think about it. I mean, smoked bird, green bean casserole, 
Matt well, was supposed to bring a pie, I, and he I, forgot. I say bad for you. I mean not keto-friendly. It's not even that. The only thing that's really not that keto-friendly is just the amount of cream I use. Um, and then I ate a whole lot of chips. Yeah. Because I never eat any chips. <laughs> of course. But I do want to talk a little bit about games. Um, so, again, next week we'll be... Eating together in some sort of fashion, I hope. Um, oh, yeah. And then Thanksgiving will happen, and that's like my favorite holiday of the year. I do not want to do anything that weekend but see people. Not in this capacity. Um, but over the last couple of weeks, I've played a few games. Um, what have you been up to? Yeah, I'll be honest. I haven't had a ton of time. For a whole lot, um, you know, with my days off, my my wife got the idea that that meant uh, I was going to be home to uh, to clean the house, not to uh, not to rest. So, <laughs> so the first couple of days of my days off were all uh, uh, were all cleaning house and shit, and then uh, I've spent the last. Uh, last couple days, uh, geeking out on uh, on Age of Empires four, like hardcore a lot. I mean, um, so I take it so far you you are digging uh, Age I, of Empires. I'm like halfway through the uh through the entire uh, through all the campaign missions at this point. I've got a question for you. Did you customize any of the controls? Nope. So nada. I have a the one thing that just this is just a thing that turns me off with big strategy games sometimes. Is is there like hotkeys to select certain units? Yes, but you have to set it. Oh. Right. So like uh for example, there's two ways to select Units, right? You can click a single unit. You can double-click that unit to select all units of that type. Or you can click and drag a square of units, right? So generally what I do um, is I will um, uh, double-click unit types. And then uh, hold control and press one or two or three or four, you know, until I have all of the unit types in a in a set, because um, you can do control one through zero to to split them off. Right. Um. And then generally, I will uh um split split that into groups and like click and drag certain number of units and create kind of squads and control a number for say that squad. I so I have trouble with it feels like the edge panning's too fast and I don't I haven't dug far enough in the controls. I've only played like two battles. Because I got distracted with other so things. So I like I like WASD for movement, and it feels like some of those keys are used for abilities. They are. And your arrow keys are for map navigation. 
which seems like unintuitive. Honest to God, arrow keys. Because you can do that, or you can do edge, edge, uh, or mouse cursor with edge map movement. Like, yeah, move your cursor to the left, the edge of the screen, and then it moves left or right. And for a lot of strategy games, I like having WSD to do that because I want to keep my hand on the mouse while I'm doing that. And then I have to like, my head is, I've used arrow keys so little. Like, I have to look at my keyboard every time I use arrow keys to move, and so then I start using edge panning, and then it was so fast that, like, I was scrolling way off to the left and way off to the right, yeah. and I disabled it, and then started using the arrow keys, and then it frustrated the fuck out of me. I was like, I'm going to play something else for a little while until I figure out around the yeah. run, way around well, the problem. Well, the reason they have that set up is that whole quadrant of your keyboard from Q to T down... Um. All of that is uh, unit abilities or building selections, etc. Right? So you can. So all of that's automatically hotkeyed. So, say for example, you uh, uh, you select your barracks. You can use Q or W to generate the type of soldier you want, whether that's a spearman or that's a minute off. Men at arms, um, etc. So you're not having to do individual clicks for all of that. Um, if you're not, uh, if you're more of a a click type person, you can totally remap those keys. Um, and that's one hundred percent up to you. Um. I don't care either way. Um, now, like I said, the a little bit more of the uh, um, of the uh, civ-like attitudes they gave it were uh, mostly in the in the upgrading system. That's what became more civ-like, right? Um, over traditional Age of Empires. The rest of it's pretty much all traditional Age of Empires, right? You have set conditions to complete. There's not multiple ways to complete. It's just basically build your army as fast as, fast as you can, advance what technology you can, and make your objectives. Um, but what's really got me is just the... Um, the level of detail is so much more. And I'd be honest, those little history clips that they give you kind of have me hooked. I'm really enjoying that aspect of it, it does even make more it... so than the gameplay. Yeah, I mean, it is something very unique to it, and I don't know that there has been a lot of other games that have done something similar. No, there hasn't. But I will say... Uh, uh, it's been a very, very enjoyable experience. There's only been, um, I will say, they did a really great job in that, uh, in that first uh, section of the campaign um, that uh, uh, chronologically goes over the history between um, England and Normandy and the major battles there. 
and um, they did a really good job of scaling those campaign missions to definitely go from uh, from easy learning mode to uh, uh, to hard, no matter what difficulty you're on. Um, I found myself the the last two missions of that first part of the campaign. I actually found myself restarting them a couple times because uh you know I didn't focus on building military might fast enough um that's probably the one thing about this um that Civ still does better is uh your your ability to uh kind of pause and set some actions you can't do that <laughs> so there is a little bit of a rush for you to get enough military out there to make sure you don't... In the last parts of that first campaign, yeah. There definitely is that rush. Um, because your, your enemies start out with more powerful units from the get-go, and you're having to... Um, to make up for that, which is generating a higher number of soldiers. So the basics of a campaign is, or of a campaign mission is you usually start in the, uh, uh, in the first or the second, uh, second age or tier, right? And you have to, Basically, in order to win, you have to be able to advance to the next age or the next two ages. But all the while, you have to keep building enough military strength to keep your shit together <laughs> while you do that. Um, which is classic Age of Empires. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but those last few missions of, in that first part of the campaign definitely... Uh, uh, stress that enough. If you get too caught up in the resource production side of it, you can easily not produce enough military units. Gotcha. To uh, to lose the whole thing. So, with that, um, before we get into your games, uh, one take a break. Yeah, just for a second. We'll be right back. All right. back we'll probably have another break probably so probably so so anyway i was going to say uh you know other than that um i've been jonesing for like some tabletop experience enough that I started watching Critical Role. Oh, that's the YouTube channel that does it's not LARPing, it's just they put a camera on them while they game, right? Yeah, and they've been going for like eight or nine years. 
Yeah, I think they even did a campaign like with uh, Divinity Original Sin 2's um, Dungeon Builder. Uh, they did. They did. Um, that was during their second campaign. Um, so, many, many, many... The last few weeks, really, many, many hours of that <laughs> has happened because I've been jonesing for it enough. The problem is most uh uh most everybody i know um also has kids or they have uh or they work schedules that are almost completely opposite to mine um so trying to set something up that's a little bit more often than two times a year you know but not quite every week like once or twice a month, maybe. You know, it's still pretty almost unattainable. <laughs> yeah. At least with everybody I've played with in the past, anyway. I mean, we could always do, uh, you know, a quarterly game or something like that. Yeah. I find that I don't have as much time. Like, we, uh, we'd even talked about doing a game monthly that was separate from the biannual game because John's really jonesing to do it again. Yeah. He's like, maybe, you know, we can just do like a once a month thing on a Friday night and just get together and do a, you know, three or four hour stint and call it good. I'd be down for that. If you want to do it, you're more than welcome to come. That would be really fun. That would be really fun. Um, you know, just something to uh, scratch those uh, those itches. Because uh, doing games like that, whether you're running it or uh, whether you're the DM or, or you're the player, um, you know, there's a kind of spontaneous creative itch that you can really scratch with a good group of people on a tabletop. You know, whether that be uh, based on D&D rules or or Pathfinder or whatever, as long as uh, as long as you got a good group of people and a, and a decent to good DM, man, you can you can just kind of be somebody else for a little bit, and that's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. But so yeah, I've been watching a ton of that. It, there's there's one thing I realized. So I used to, I'll be honest, I'm one of those people that I disliked the idea that was. Matt Mercer and what I perceived was his effect on the community as a whole. Because, you know, you sit there and uh, occasionally, just because occasionally I keep up with some of that stuff, um, you know, watch some forums for for different systems like D&D and and Pathfinder and um, the World of Darkness because those are the three systems I've generally played the most of before and um 
you know, you just see a whole, you see a lot of people like, man, I just started a little while ago and I really want to play this game because of Critical Role and, and it was nothing like Critical Role. I wanted to, you kind of have to realize whenever, whenever you watch that, that is some real, seriously really good D&D. Mostly because you're looking at a voice actor who that is now pretty much his entire job. Like he spends his weeks literally plotting out each episode of that campaign. Yeah, it's like Um, a job at this point. It's like a job. Most campaigns, or at least most all of my games have been the company of good friends accompanied with a game that we like to play. And, and being once or twice a year, Dave has a whole lot of time to kind of roughly plot things out, but also have contingencies prepared, have, like you said, different characters prepared for whenever one of you dies, etc. right? Yeah, it literally, um, if somebody's out of the story, like we kill ourselves accidentally or something like that, the process of getting back in the game is within a few minutes. Yeah. It's not like so, they're on the sidelines now for an hour. It's like, let us finish up the combat section, and then let's figure out how we're going to get you into another character. Yeah. And we and then we continue on. It's just, you know, you fucked yourself up there. So now it's your chance to go take a bathroom break and get some more food while you wait for the combat to end before we get into the next story bit. Exactly. So, you know, there's, uh, but not only that with Mercer, you're also looking at seven players who won are also voice actors. And two, um, uh, they were playing together for a cu- for a couple of years before Critical Role even started streaming. Um, they were playing that first campaign for uh, for a couple years before that. So there were um, there there's definitely a cohesion there. So you can't go to be honest. Watch most tabletop games that are that are broadcast regularly online and assume that's 100% what your experience is going to be like the, the amount of DM, the amount of dungeon masters who um, have the, the time, the creativity and the ability to be able to put together a world like what you see in critical role or like what Dave does has done for, your all's game for for like the past 10 to 12 years that's actually really rare (laughs) you know most guys are just following a campaign book and you know putting their own um interpretation on it right right and i guess i've just never i've never actually experienced it that way i guess i've always been lucky with it yeah so, and I mean, I've for the most part always been lucky with that too, but 
really most uh most most decent to good DMs still work from like a set campaign book for the most part, but they they put enough of their own spin on it that you don't feel like you're uh playing from playing a guided out a pre guided out campaign, you know. You you have your own little side roads, etc. They just know how to turn you back into the main points to kind of keep moving through the campaign towards your last big bad or whatever. Um so after watching Critical Role for as many hours as I have now, I can honestly say it's pure entertainment. I actually really enjoy watching it. I don't hate Matt Mercer, but I still think a lot of people have to, uh, uh, if you've never watched it before, but, but you've been interested when you go watch it and you think that's how D and D will play for you. That's not necessarily the case. Don't let that set your expectations too high. You know, it's kind of like that with video games. We've talked that, about that a lot. Critical Role is unintentionally basically a giant uh, trailer and promotion for Dungeons and Dragons. At what it could be at its prime. What it could be in the absolute perfect conditions, just like with a pre-rendered trailer for a video game. And then you go buy it, and it may not meet your expectations, but if you give it a chance, you just might enjoy it anyway. Just don't let your expectation ruin it for you. <laughs> that's very fair. Um, so, I mean, that's been that's been a lot. Plus, it's really easy. I gotta be honest, I've fallen off a lot of uh, uh, lot of podcasts recently just because everybody seems to want to inject something about what the world's been going through over the last you know year and a half almost two years now and I just <sighs> I get tired of hearing people talk about that so it's complete so it's nice to just completely escape in something and most of their episodes are between three and four hours long so I can just let it play and even just listen to it. I don't even have to be watching the video. Um, and, you know, it's just something, escapism, you know. I, uh, I went down a completely different path after that. So while I'm waiting on Icarus to drop, um, some stuff on my wish list came out of early access this week, uh, over the last week. And so Kingdom, I don't know if you've ever played the game Kingdom where you go left to right. It's a strategy game that's got some really simple controls, but it's surprisingly deep. Um, there's a new, new update for Two Crowns. So Two Crowns changes Kingdom quite a bit. And that game came out a couple years ago. Um, Basically, it gave you different islands to go to to get different resources. So originally what you'd do with Kingdom is build up your fort and uh, try to beat back the darkness on either side of the island. It scrolls left to right. And it's done in a pixelated art style. 
Two Crowns has you go into different islands, and then there's several different, um, what do you call it, like DLCs for this. And I continue to get the DLCs. So, like, there's one called Deadlands. There's one that's called something Samurai. And then this one has a North theme. And I've put a little bit of time into it so far. It was like $6. And so I was like, I can play more Kingdom. I like that game. And it just dropped, you know, this month. So I started playing that. And then somewhere in the middle of all of that, and again, I don't have enough playtime with it to really understand the nuance of it yet on how to get the upgrades and everything else. So I don't have a proper review for it yet. I will by the end of this year, but I don't know yet. I usually tend to sink a fair amount of time into Kingdom once I get going with it. Um, there are other things that had released on my wish list and in uh, anti-rusty fashion in this way, because I know he'd be rolling his eyes if he was here right now. Um, I started playing a couple of different games. So, um, what the hell is it called? See, I've been having trouble with this this whole time. So, Today, um, me and my buddy TJ play a lot of stuff together, and we were playing, um, I was going to say Left 4 Dead, Back for Blood, and he hadn't been on, and then he uh, had me Steam co-op, remote co-op with him while he's in Alaska, a game called Dismantle. It was on my wish list. It's a crafting game with a zombie theme that kind of has a art style similar to Fortnite, and that's not typically something I like. Um, art style wise, but it's like survival crafting kind of stuff. And I started dicking around with him this morning playing it through remote play, and then I had to run some errands, and then I came back and I was actually playing it when you got here. And essentially what it is, is it's, dismantle means that you basically can tear down everything in the world and there's a use for it. Like, everything in the world has a use. And all those uses are different upgrades for your character. Um, it is a open world, but it's a made world and it is very deliberate in its progression um, and it does a very good job does not do a great job of co-op and co-op like I'm not getting any kind of rewards and you have to do it with play together basically which means I connect to him and I can only travel within the realms of his screen which actually didn't work too bad it felt a little bit like I was ice skating because my ping was at like 250 um, so I click a button and then it happens. <laughs> so that was taking some getting used to, but it got enough of my teeth into it. And I was like, I'm going to give this a shot. So I went ahead and picked it up. And then I've had a lot of fun with it. It's a top-down game, um, plays very well with the controller. And essentially you're gathering resources and breaking things to get resources. And your crowbar is the primary thing used for attacking and for taking shit apart. And that continues to get stronger. So you might go in a house and you can break, uh, I don't know, the, the cups and the plates in there and a couple of chairs. And then that gives you wood and ceramic. And then later on, now I can come in there and I can break the, uh, the toilets and the sink and everything else to get more upgrades. And then later on, now I can break down things that are rubber, and then I can break down things that have electronics, and like it just, that's the progression path, is dismantling stuff. Yes, it's the zombie trope. I, I understand that. I understand that trope is tired. But when the games are good, um, I want to talk about them a little bit, because they still feel like diamonds in the rough, because there's a lot of zombie games and a handful that are worth a damn. So Back for Blood is worth a damn. There's 
only one new complaint I have about Back for Blood. We are TJ being super picky noticed it when we were playing it the other night. He's like, so when you fire the guns, notice how much recoil happens in first person versus when you watch somebody else. And so I'm pulling an MP5 and starts firing it or a vector. And the sights don't wiggle too much once I got the compensator on it, but the gun itself like moves at such a fast frame rate and vibrates so fast it is a little bit distracting. But anyways, back to dismantle. Um, the game's pretty satisfying so far. I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's uh, very melee focused. It's not a ranged fighting game at all. Um, but really the point of it's not fighting as much as it is of discovering the story of the game. So right. the, And kind of discovering... The, the goal is escape the island. But there's a whole bunch of... A million little things you got to do before you get to that point. And it is a little bit grindy, but like I feel like I'm always upgrading and unlocking something. Not too fast, but it, it feels rewarding. And it's not really, really hard, but it's hard enough. So, so far, Dismantle's pretty damn good. Another game, um, and it's Dismantle so you can find it, is D-Y-S-M-A-N-T-L-E. Um, so there was a series of Flash games called The Last Stand that came out a million years ago. Um, I almost want to say the Newgrounds games, but I can't remember for sure. Anyways, it's a side-scroller zombie action game from the early 2000s. Um, so that team released a 3D, a top-down 3D game called Last Stand Aftermath. Um, this is a more proper game, but done in a roguelike. And it does something that is different enough that I feel like it's got a good loop. It's got really good bones on it. now. Does it have a few glitches? Yes, there are some times that you kind of get stuck in the environment. Um, there's one time that I fell through the world. <laughs> um, there's been a couple of times that my progression was locked. However, they are a very active team, and apparently it's selling pretty well because they've already announced that they're going to have the next patch ready in the next few days um, to address all of these issues. But it's on PS, PlayStation and Xbox as well as PC. And this one sells for around the $20 range. Um, but here's the gameplay loop. So your character is infected, and he's he or she's not going to get better. Um, the survivors at the camp that you're at are not infected and are immune. They can die, but they are immune. So what they're doing is taking all of the infected people and sending them out into the world to scavenge and see if there's something else out there. So they're trying to get you out to find out if there are more communities, etc. Um, and the way the gameplay loop works is you get as far as you can with your infection before you die. You're either going to die from the zombies that are in the area, or you're going to die from infection, or you're going to die from a trap, or all sorts of other things. But once you die, you pick a new person who is infected to go back out in the world. <clears throat> the infection gives you mutations, which give you stat advantages. So it could be melee resistance, it could be that enemies that melee you bleed it could be that you got more carry weight etc so basically you go through you get in a car and drive away and it has a certain a set level of fuel and that fuel um kind of locks you into how far you can go in the world initially you can only go one map node at a time each one of those is a little vignette where it's like a little self-contained level that has a certain amount of items in it and they are pre some of them are they're pre-generated, but the item placement is randomly generated. And the events that are in them are randomly generated. 
Um, so there's different like points of interest that you might want. So they have like a supply station that'll have an antiviral. And the antiviral, when you hit yourself with the antiviral, will halt the the progression of the virus altogether for let's say five minutes of your gameplay time. And there's only a handful of those rounds, so you might strategize in your map placement. Oh, I'm going to go here where I know there might be an antiviral, but you still might actually find them in some of the normal random maps. They all require, they usually require a battery, and batteries are things that you scavenge or create. And then, you know, there's this whole crafting system that you're doing unlocks for. You're getting XP, which gates different unlocks. The unlocks you buy with supply points. And so basically what you're doing is you're driving in this car, and the, the, the way the game is logically presenting this is they are tracking your location in that car where you're at, and they're sending people to go recover the car. And then you're picking out supply points, so you'll find a battery, and with the battery you'll activate a beacon that shows them where a supply point is, and those supply points are what you use for unlocks of the game. It might be a permanent AK-47 that's always at your camp that you can always take with you. It might be extra knowledge points for extra unlocks. It might be a cache of weapons. It might be a higher chance now in the game world to unlock semi-automatic pistols versus revolvers. But that's how your, your supply points give you better things for your character to get along the run. Your XP gates that. And then your knowledge that you get while you're in the game is what gives you different things. So now my character gets infection a lot slower, has a whole lot more stamina, has more carry weight, um, and does more damage with pistols, basically, right? But the gameplay loop's really good. Like, there's a lot of risk-reward stuff. It'll be like, okay, well, if you start this generator, I have, like, three skulls on it. That means that you're going to get a horde that comes at you. But you're going to get supply points. So even if you die, you might as well go ahead and do this, even if it ends up ending your run, because now you're going to unlock things for your next few runs. So you might as well just go ahead and give it a shot. Um, here's this basement. Do you want to go in the basement? The basement might be completely overrun with zombies. Um, when you get down there, and if they are, then you're going to use a lot of resources getting to it. You don't know if when you go down there it's going to be worth it or not. So there's like a lot of risk rewards. Some of the zombies are walkers, some of them are runners. Some of them are special that have, like, there's a essentially a tank from Left 4 Dead that takes a, a huge fucking bullet sponge. It's got a stealth system. Um, it's got a melee system. It has a melee system in the same way of, like, Zelda or Dead Rising, where melee weapons break. But you can upgrade your skills to make them break a whole lot slower. Um, you can also take those like basic ass pipes and boards and shit like that and turn them into spike boards or a scythe or a big two-handed buster sword, basically, or like all sorts of shit. Weight management in this game is fucking broken, so I'm going to say that. it Supposedly, once you get over weight limit, you're encumbered and your stamina recharges slower and... Uh, it costs more stamina to do melee. You get really used to it to the point it doesn't fucking matter. So at some point, I hope they fix that. But right now, I don't fucking care. Yeah. Um, I always run double overloaded because I want to have all the things for all the situations no matter what. And I hate throwing shit away. Besides, there's places sometimes in the map where you can sell some of your extra shit for knowledge points, which are permitted unlocks. So why the fuck not would you do that? The game loop is uh -huh. good, though. The game loop is super solid. Um... I've put 20 hours into it, and I got it on Wednesday. That's not bad. No, that's and that's with my work schedule and me working a lot of overtime right now as I'm getting used to this new role. So, 
I've played the fuck out of that game lately. And it's about a dollar an hour right now so far for me, so I feel like that has uh, definitely paid itself off. But yeah, Last Stand Aftermath, if I only get 10 more hours, I feel like I got a lot, but I haven't gotten far that far in the game yet. Like I said, the progression is different, right? You, I've beaten the first map, and I'm still working on the second map. There's all these story unlocks that are happening that are kind of progressing the story. Be like, oh, you got to this thing. They start explaining what's going on. They give you an objective now for you to do a different thing to help progress the story along. And they're doing a pretty good job of it. The, the voice acting is, is non-existent. It's all text. Um, it's probably done by a pretty small team. But I feel like they did a really solid job. Like, if this is your jam, roguelike with... Uh, Sometimes some of our runs I'm running out, I'm like almost completely out of ammo and I'm having to stealth around and kill shit. Where other runs, like, I find an abundance of ammo and I'm like fucking Rambo. So, like, you know, it rewards you being well-rounded with the way that you want to play the game. Yeah. But it's a, if you find it on the Steam sale that happens next month, I would, I would recommend it. Um, nice. With what I've played so far, I'd recommend it. It's right now. It's got me addicted. I've I've stayed up too late several nights in a row when I shouldn't have, knowing I got to be up at six thirty in the morning, dicking around with this game. Um, but yeah. Um, in a nutshell, oh, and I think I'm almost through Battle Sector. Um, that's the that's another good Warhammer game. Feels a lot like playing a StarCraft campaign, kind of. No, it doesn't. The art style kind of reminds me of StarCraft, the Terrans. But the thing about Battle Sector that's cool is the battles are big enough that they're not like the big grand strategy game, but it feels like you have to really think about what counters what. Yeah. And when your characters die on field, it does make a difference because you only can replenish your troops with up to four people at a time. You throw up to 20 in reserves, but then you can only pick up to four additional units every single campaign map. So if you're killing too many of your people or being too risky, you could fuck yourself on this game. But the unit types are really fucking cool. Um, and surprisingly, the voice acting is not that bad. Um, Battle Sector, like, watch some gameplay of it, but basically what it is is, like, you have different squad types, right? It kind of has a little bit of an XCOM feel. It kind of has a Dawn of War feel to it. Um, so, for example... I forget about all the fucking silly names in Warhammer. So, like, my troops that have machine guns, right? Like, they're in a squad of five. Um, as their health pool drops, their numbers drop, which also means the amount of people using guns drops. And the amount of projectiles drops. So... When you're fighting, and then certain units get buffs in the next to each other. So there's some ground units that are kind of like Zerg that are on the enemy side. If they're like next to each other, they get like a 50% bonus for every group of them that's next to each other. They can actually do some real fucking damage. Um, but if you start, it's better to thin out several groups than it is to just completely annihilate one group, if that makes sense. So if there are eight of them in a pack, essentially, right? And you yeah. can wipe the total number of units down in every single pack. That makes a lot of sense. But sometimes it makes more sense if they only got one left to reduce the 50% bonus by killing that one guy. So, 
I'm not explaining this very well, and I realize that. The game itself, gameplay, is very solid. It is a turn-based strategy game in the way of XCOM, but each you're controlling a squad of guys instead of a single guy. You can overwatch with them. They've got like something called Surge, which means that you can spend an extra action point on damage, or you can spend it on empowering an ability that you have. You've got hero units with their own abilities. You've got some healing units. Um, line of sight makes a difference. Positioning makes a difference. The total distance between you and another unit with their weapon makes a difference. And fucking melee is satisfying as fuck in this game. Like, I have a group of units that have jetpacks that just jump in and fucking, like, wreak havoc on other dudes. And then all these different units have different loadouts you can give them. So as you unlock shit in the game, each of the different battle commanders opens up different guns and weapon loadouts for different uh, groups. So I had a group of guys that are really good at fucking punching um, and had some kind of mediocre guns that they could use, and then they had a grenade launcher. Well, I loaded them up with fucking flamethrowers. So instead of, they're a really fucking tanky unit, so now I just push them through frontline troops, mowing down little guys with flamethrowers, and then punching the shit out of big guys. And I can't remember what their names are for the, you know, they're probably like the intercessors or something stupid like that, because Warhammer's crazy with their lingo. But anyways, this group of dudes, like, has fucking flamethrowers and has big fists, and they, like, punch through shit. And it is really fucking satisfying. And... Again, it is one of those things I feel like, for whatever reason, I'm having a really bad brain freeze with Battle Sector. But if, out of all of the turn-based strategy games I've played this year, somebody remind me later of something else that I played that I really liked, but I really like Battle Sector, and I wish I'd given it more of a chance this summer when I initially got it, instead of waiting until now, because I've been fairly addicted to that for the last the week leading up to uh, last week. So, Battle Sector... Pretty damn decent. If it's on the Steam sale and this sounds like your kind of jam, it's worth the risk. And then play through till you start getting unlocks because you'll be like, man, I feel so underpowered until you start to figure out how the units work. And there's honestly not a lot of good YouTube tutorials out there to teach you what to do. I think you just got to dick with it until you figure out kind of what your gameplay is. But with the unlocks, right, like I've got a group of guys that I thought really sucked called the Seraphim until they got these fucking laser pistols. Because before, they take, like, three groups of these to take out, like, a your basic-ass, like, group of ground troops. And it's like, the only thing good about these guys is they're really fucking mobile, and I can scout the map with them. Well, they got fucking laser pistols now. And now they can fuck, two, two squads of them can melt down a huge-ass dude on the enemy's team, like, in nothing flat. So, they are super good versus, like, big single targets that are, like, going to fucking destroy lots of troops. I just send these... Seraphim after him. I do remember that because it actually made sense. They're these basically like Valkyrie is what they're like. They're they're women with wings with laser pistols, and they fucking blow shit up. But, nice. Uh, yeah, Battle Sector's cool. It just takes a while to get rolling, and once you start to figure it out and it starts clicking, you're like, yeah, this I can dig this. This is pretty good. Nice. So, anyways, that's all the games in a nutshell. Um, do you have anything else to go through before you hit break? Not really, no. I was hoping I'd get to see Ghostbusters Afterlife this week, but that didn't happen. Is that one on HBO by any chance? No, it's currently only in theaters. Gotcha. So I'm going to have to go like a real human to go see it. Yep. But from everything I've 
I've intentionally been staying away from uh, uh, a lot of uh, news on it, but uh, uh, from the few people I've heard from about it, saying any spoilers because they know I'd kill them. Um, it's pretty good. It's it's worth the watch. Yeah, I haven't seen anybody post anything remotely negative about it. Yeah, nothing at nothing at all. Nothing at all. So that's good. At least I know. Uh, as much as I know about it, it's an actual true sequel. Um. To the original two Ghostbusters movies, so that part's that part's really nice. They just went uh, further in the future, and from the trailers, it looks like it involves the the grandkids of a major player in the first two movies. So, I mean, that's good. Yeah, I'd be down for it. So. All right, well, uh, go ahead, take a break, and come back to do some news. Yep, we'll be back. And we're back. Woohoo! Me and Jason haven't seen each other for a couple weeks, so you know we needed a couple breaks. Yeah, um, that was a long one. We talked for a bit. That might have been an hour. Yeah. Um. So I do want to just kick things off with some normal news. I'll jump into some controversial news, and me and Jason will kind of round it out here. But I don't think this yeah. section will be that long. No. Uh. So I'll lead with the short stuff real quick. Steam Deck has officially been delayed by a couple of months. Why is that? Basically, what we figured it would be. Global supply chain issues, material shortages, components aren't reaching manufacturing facilities in time for them to meet the initial launch dates, etc. So, right now they're saying uh, units will start shipping in February. I mean, speaking of February, I know Saints Row was originally slated to um, release in February, the new iteration of the franchise, and that's been delayed as well. Um, another delay, I had originally hoped to play Icarus um, during Thanksgiving weekend. So Icarus is a game made by the Daisy Mod creator. It's a standalone game. It's basically like you're in space and you're colonizing different areas of a very hostile world that has been recently terraformed, I believe is the deal. But it looks like a survival and building sim. Um, so anyways, it got delayed till December 4th. Um, on the maximum specs of this game, though, it is the very first of... Well, it may not be the first, but it is the one that a lot of different outlets are highlighting. has a recommended spec of 32 gigs of RAM. Um, it does have ray tracing involved, and then the developer, to their point, said they wanted to future-proof the game. So he said, well, 
30, it may not actually need 32 megs or 32 gigs of RAM in most instances, um, but the maps are very, very, very large. So that's what they're quoting. It also enables ray tracing as well, so I could see that possibly being a thing. Um, I'll let you guys know, but it comes out on December 4th, so it's probably not going to be played until the next time we podcast. Yeah. Um, and then other news, uh, Paradox actually recently had their, uh, their third quarter, uh, interim report call, uh, and inevitably Vampire the Masquerade's Bloodlines 2 came up. Is it canceled? Um, no, actually. Um, but all the, uh, Paradox's CFO would say on the call um, is that the new developers doing quite well. They're happy with the pro- progress of the project, um, but it will still be some time before they can start talking about any release dates. Um, and when asked uh, about who the new developer is, um, he continued to just say that they prefer to give the new studio situation where they can fully focus on developing the game and not having to address uh, fans or journalists reaching out to them, you know, all the time for, uh, for news or uh, asking questions about the game. So, so far they are very happy to, uh, to keep that under wraps. Um, but they did confirm it is a reputable and ta- talented developer who's shipped a, shipped quite a number of games. Now, one of the, uh, um, one of the interesting little tidbits that's neither been confirmed nor denied, um, speculate, some speculation says it may v- very well be, um, at least in part, harebrained schemes considering Paradox acquired them in 2018. But that would be a very different game compared to what Harebrained has done in the past. Yeah, Harebrained's been doing uh, top-down RPGs now so for years. I seriously doubt that it's them, but... Eh. Surprises. <laughs> For reals. I've got a couple of other things. So, it's just talking to Jason off off air. And I guess uh, there's a lot of people that are calling for Bobby Kotick's resignation. If you've been part of the games industry or followed the games industry for any amount of time, you know that that's the Activision CEO who's been around for a million years. And honestly, the poster child of uh, toxic gaming has come from a lot of Activision games. Now, the people that play them that have caused some of those toxic environments is not 100% Bobby's fault. However, Bobby has been part of Activision, which has been the white, the the white whale, the whale that has uh, swallowed a lot of things gaming and turned a lot of things gaming into you know, the free-to-play shit or the pay-to-win shit or the 
games as a service shit has come from Activision. And I don't feel like, I don't obviously don't know anything about him personally, but at this point, the allegations that are coming up on Activision slash Blizzard lately, um, there's so many of them at this point. Like, it's hard to believe that it is just allegations at this point, right? Um, I don't want to dive into the minutia. There's a story every day coming out about Blizzard, so you can find plenty of stories about Blizzard on the internet. However, for once, I really do hope that uh, one of these gaming CEOs is just swept away and we get somebody who's passionate about gaming. I know Phil Spencer is not necessarily the absolute best thing that has happened to gaming, but I can say that he has spearheaded the Microsoft when it came to Game Pass has spearheaded a lot of things and like that's an example of somebody who seems at least on the outside to be passionate about games and seems to present a lot of things that are game centric and seems like the right person to be in that role. Yeah. So you got somebody like Bobby who's money grubbing in the background that apparently didn't from all sources has basically done nothing to hold people accountable in his indus- in his organization and has turned Activision into a big shit stain on gaming. So, like, at this point, like, hasta la vista, Bobby. I don't really want to see you in associated with gaming anymore anyway. Um, I don't have anything else to say other than I just, at this point, this would be one of the few times where I'm just like, you know what? There's got to be something going on here for there to be this much. Like, yeah. I, I can't ignore it, you know? Like, not that I'd want to ignore it, but I'm just saying, like, there's... No matter what you think, even if there isn't 100% evidence, like, how does this much stuff come out about it? Like, how, where is, how is there this much internal hatred for the leader if he's doing things right, you know? He's obviously not, or the peop- there, there wouldn't be this many people that have such a negative opinion about him. Um, and then just the things that are coming out about Activision right now, um, and Blizzard is fucking deplorable. Like it's there's some pretty awful stuff coming out about that. But um what else did we have? I know it's out- really thin right now. Yeah. I might Mo- I might reinst- of- might reinstall Outriders. Apparently some things have updated about it. Um so- Yeah, apparently it's a whole lot more playable now. I may mess with it. I know Matt wants me to jump in, but I need Matt to jump into Back for Blood first so I can finish the campaign, which I still haven't done. Um, or if you want to jump in at some point, I still need to finish the campaign and do not mind playing it. Um, something that did happen recently, and I don't know if this is recent or not, but me and TJ figured out if you put privacy on friends only, um, the two of you can basically play through the whole thing with bots. Oh, nice. So, been playing it with him and me, or me, him, and his son, and we've literally just had private game sessions the whole time, and that has made that infinitely more enjoyable. So, if you want to do that, that's definitely an option. I still haven't tried Swarm Mode. I don't even know what the fuck that is. And apparently, there's a free LC coming out for a single-player mode to make that more of an enjoyable experience, which it still isn't. Like, right now, Back for Blood is fairly solid in a lot of ways, but it's still like a solid... Four, where it could be a four five or a four seven five, and it's the single player things holding it back. <laughs> Some of the weird gameplay things is holding it back. Um, 
some of the map design is holding them back. Like overall, it is a pretty enjoyable experience, and it is very much worth the price of entry of trying it out on Game Pass. Um, yeah, I can um, I can say uh, um, you know, as y'all know, a few weeks ago, the um, couple weeks ago, in fact, um the uh, new generation of Intel chips launched. And I can happily say after seeing everything, though still extremely power hungry, like Intel chips have been since, you know, the a couple generations back with the 8900 and 9900 chipsets on the i9s, uh, the performance uh overall is very very competitive with amd's top cpus and even uh beating them out uh beating them out by a by a good margin which is what should be with a generational leap so we may actually have competitive cpu development again which is just good for pc gamers as a whole. Yeah. Just those chips will be expensive for a while. And I don't really have a real good reason to upgrade my chipset right now. And I don't oh, think yeah, you no. do either. No, it, especially considering, um, I mean, uh, you got a cooler, of, I got a cooler. We can yeah. overclock those and squeeze out a few years out of them before you need to think about an upgrade. All of the, uh, plus with Alder, like the whole, Socket size is completely different now, so it'd be whole new everything. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to go through that right now. Nope, not at all. But it gives some promising stuff for the future, and they, though I was doubtful of them having, uh, uh, of using the hybrid CPU with uh, two different sized cores like ARM's been doing. Um, Intel has proven that so far that it is a completely viable solution. So, you know, kudos to them. Well, I really don't have much else. Do you have anything? Not real, not really, other than, uh, well. No, you already talked about that. Yeah, nope, I'm out. All right, where can you find us, Jason? Find us at TiltCast.com. Find us on Facebook and Twitter.com slash TiltCast. Our YouTube channels, YouTube.com slash TiltCast, and search for us on iTunes and Spotify. Subscribe. Find friends of the show. We've got PupCast, which is picking up pixels. We've got For the Love of Gaming. We've got Cabbage KBG. We've got NoQuarters.net bmfcast.com and tvgp.tv you can find them on steam with that it's the end of the show peace